Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Friday, May 29th, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. And ladies and gentlemen, the president has officially signed an executive order addressing social media censorship. I personally think the 10,000 people who have died of COVID-19 is more important, but I'm not being bullied on Twitter, so what do I know? Of course, Will Chamberlain was a fan, and his opinion apparently matters, despite the fact that nobody reads human events. When the New York Times published an article that put the phrase free speech in quotes, Chamberlain, well, said this, the New York Times literally put free speech in quotes. That is true, Will Chamberlain. Of course, he meant that in a derogatory sense, but the problem with that is that in that article, the New York Times was quoting the executive order. So, yeah, they put quotation marks around something they were quoting. This angered Will Chamberlain. God forbid he ever read a novel. That would be an awful experience. Oh, side note, side note, Will, do you know what both have higher Alexa ratings than human events, that website you run? Gab and Parlor. Whoops. But nobody uses them, and therefore we have to regulate Twitter. Um, can we regulate human events out of existence? I mean, nobody reads it, so it doesn't exist anyway, according to Chamberlain. Anyway, he was not the only one happy about this. Kuman Good, Understander, and guy who looks weirdly like Watto from Star Wars The Phantom Menace, Josh Hammer, had this to say. It is unclear at best how classical liberal appear appeals to deregulation and private competition can thoughtfully contribute to the discussion surrounding the role of big tech in the 21st century. Put another way, start your own damn Google. Has anyone actually ever said that? Serious question, has anyone actually ever used that phrase? I've heard tons of people bitch about that phrase. I've heard tons of them. I've never actually heard anyone use it once. I think that's pretty telling. And by the way, no one is saying, go build your own search engine. What we're saying is, why not use one of the search engines someone else created? Do you think that before Google, you just couldn't search things online, Yahoo existed for longer, and today there's Bing and DuckDuckGo, and both of those are just off the top of my head. There are tons of obscure search engines you could use if you actually gave a shit, but you don't give a shit about this. You're just using it to justify more authoritarian power because that's how these people work. Um, but, okay, back to the tweet. Put another way, start your own damn Google is perhaps a nice line in a classroom setting, but not in the real world. What a striking condemnation of Jack Phillips. Oh, wait, 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 no. Sorry, he was doing that for religious reasons. Therefore, you can't criticize him. Question, do you think that if Jack Dorsey were to say he was doing this for religious reasons, these people would suddenly flip? I mean, I doubt it, but... He should actually try that. Seriously. Seriously. And force these people to take a stand for once. And by the way, do you know who doesn't support this regulation on big tech? Actual competitors. As of right now, Josh Hawley has tried several times to squeeze through legislation that would repeal Section 230. Okay? And Matt Gatiz, that's how it's pronounced, there's a Z, is a, has introduced new legislation to do the same thing very recently. Gatiz is also still under investigation by the American Bar Association, but we're going to ignore that. We shouldn't, but we're going to. Meanwhile, Gab, which is the biggest Twitter competitor right now and is growing at an exponential rate, has directly called Section 230 the Internet's First Amendment. They don't want it repealed, and they were critics of Trump's executive order. 
Isn't that odd? Oh, wait, no. You're going to put your hand over the over everyone in Gab's mouth and say, quiet, I'm being offended for you. This is how statists and authoritarian types always think. They always think that they're doing their action, or maybe they don't, maybe they're just lying to all of us, but they always use the rhetoric of trying to do the greater good, and typically the people they're actually supposed to be helping hate what they're doing. But their voice doesn't matter, of course. After all, they disagree with you. And despite the fact they have more expertise in this than you, well, they need to go shut up. Oh, by the way, 230,000 people have come to Gab in the past day. Seriously. 230,000 people. For some reason, I stumbled the numbers the second time. And it's already been estimated that Gab has over half a million users before this giant gain started. And by the way, I am one of their users. Go follow me at gab.com slash peaceful underscore globalist underscore Ephraim. Okay? So, the market is already correcting Twitter censorship. Censorship in giant quotes. However, the president is still trying to take steps. In truth, all this is going to do is institutionalize Twitter, which might very well be their goal. Because, hey, at this point, I'd be willing to believe basically anything. Or it could just be a classic example of, as Shane Killian says, the government jumping in front of a parade and pretending they're leading. You know, after Elizabeth Warren said she planned to break up big tech, I remember Michelle Catlin, this was about two Twitter accounts ago from her, said that she would endorse Warren if she got the nomination, assuming she was serious about that. It was later revealed that Warren primarily wanted to do that because users on Twitter were being mean to Kamala Harris, and that was just, in general, quite funny. You know, they always say Google is this big monopoly, but the same weekend, Google was created. There were articles being written saying that Yahoo was a big monopoly. 2007, Guardian said MySpace was a monopoly. You guys see how today's monopolies are just tomorrow's obsolete, useless platforms? And by the way, that's in large part because of us, because of the consumer. Seriously, don't delete your Twitter right away. I want to make that clear. Do not delete your Twitter. I do not encourage that. Unless you want to, in which case you can. I can't stop you. But seriously, get an account on Gab. And I'll, I've already gotten an account on Gab. I will be trying out Parler this weekend. Uh, get an account on Parler. And just don't, you don't have to completely replace Twitter with it. Okay? If you like Twitter's infrastructure better than Gab or Parler, then that's fine. Keep using that. I'm not going to stop you. But just give it a look. Okay, just give it a look, give Bitchu a look. Well, with Bitchu, it's a little bit more complicated, but make content for it if you can. Seriously. Seriously. And for DLive, which is the alternative version of Twitch, and use DuckDuckGo as often as you can instead of Google. Do things like that. Do things like that. And again, don't you don't need to immediately replace Twitter, just like people didn't immediately delete their MySpaces when Facebook came along. Even as late as 08 and 09. You know, if you wanted to do music content, yeah, you'd go on MySpace. Seriously. Um, however, just a couple times a day, if you're about to tweet something, think, do I really need to tweet that? Okay? And then if you don't need to, gab it or parlor it. Seriously. That That's all I ask. That's all I ask. You don't have to... Shut out, shut down your Twitter, delete your Facebook, delete your YouTube, don't do that. Okay? Just give these alt tech platforms a try. And if you don't like them, that's fine. Go back to Twitter. I won't stop you. I still use my Twitter. It's still um, twitter.com slash one And I encourage you to follow it. 
and follow me on Gab. When I create a parlor, I'll talk about that on my platform. I'll, it'll be the first thing I mention on Monday. And I'll encourage you to follow me on it. Seriously. Um, however, I should also note the examples of censorship from the administration are notably weak. Of course, there were cases of Twitter deleting people like Milo Yiannopoulos, who apparently is still alive. Did you guys know this? I genuinely forgot. Milo Yiannopoulos is still alive. Huh. Or, Lua, or future loser Laura Loomer. Um, however, of course, what crossed the line was them fact-checking the president. And, for that matter, placing a warning. I'll read out the warning. This is from the official White House Twitter account. They said, This tweet violated Twitter's rules about glorifying violence. However, Twitter has determined that it may be in the public interest for the tweet to remain accessible. Personally, I'd prefer Twitter do this in all cases of someone violating their terms of service. Just put up a warning. Seriously, just put up a warning that, Hey, this content's offensive. It may piss you off. I'd much rather they do that with, like, Yiannopoulos' account than delete it, or with Loomer's account than delete it, or with, uh, what's that guy, Dylan from Educating Liberals' account than delete it. Seriously. Um, but the tweet in question said this. And, of course, that's not good enough for some of these people, but they're overdramatic, so I ignore them. The tweet in question said this. This is in reference to the Minneapolis riots that just happened a few nights ago. These thugs! are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Watts and told him that the military is with him all of the way. Any difficulty, and we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. Now, that obviously got a warning that could theoretically be seen as glorifying violence. The White House Twitter account quote tweeted it by saying, The president did not glorify violence. He clearly condemned it. Jack and Twitter's bad, biased, bad faith fact checkers have made it clear. Twitter is a publisher, not a platform. Actually, it just looks like at worst it was caught up in an automatic, but okay, okay. I was originally going to respond by carefully explaining to the president what the military actually does, and how it is, in fact, quite violent. I mean, just ask the people over in Kent if you don't believe me. Seriously. Just ask people over in Kent State, Ohio, if you don't believe me. Um, or I guess Kent State isn't a town in Ohio. At the Kent State University in Ohio. Ask them. However, I don't even need to do that, because the last line of the tweet is... When the looting starts, the shooting starts. Nothing violent here, guys. I don't see it. Anyway, some more Trump news. Trump has officially announced that he plans to cut ties with the World Health Organization. He did that just today, in fact. Uh, here is a clip from that. A year, we have detailed the reforms that it must make and engage with them directly, but they have refused to act. Because they have failed to make the requested and greatly needed reforms, we will be today terminating our relationship with the World Health Organization and redirecting those funds to other worldwide and deserving urgent global public health needs. Uh, Trump, of course, has been a long-standing critic of the World Health Organization, over the idea that it's more sympathetic to China, which there is merit to. There is merit to that idea. I will give the administration that. Um, earlier this month, in fact, I think this was about a few weeks ago, he actually complained um, that we were giving too much to the WHO. And we were giving like $400 million while China was giving about $50 million, and yet they're nicer to China. A normal person would think that that's because China might be slightly more in the right on some parts. But no, you can't say that, otherwise the terrorists are going to win. Where are all these uh, Xi, Xi Jinping apologists, by the way? Are they like those Saddam Hussein apologists from back in 2003? Or those Taliban apologists from 2002? 
serious question. I can't find them. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, in that case, by the way, you're the president. You control the budget. It's the same thing with NATO. Remember that really early on, the president was saying, we spend like 4% of our GDP on NATO. Meanwhile, most other nations only spend 2%. You signed the budgets in the law. And for the record, the United States only needs to give 2% of their GDP to NATO. We give 4% because that's how our budget ends up going. Okay, it's not a requirement. NATO doesn't mandate that. That's not really even how NATO works. There's no like head of NATO. It's a series of military alliances that all countries share, or that every country within NATO shares. And it's basically just primarily done through ambassadors, in all honesty. There is a secretary general of NATO, but he's picked by the countries, by the through informal methods. There's no, like, president of NATO who oversees official NATO business. And even then, Secretary General of NATO really only has power if a dispute happens, which, yeah, they do happen from time to time, but it's not this almighty, powerful position. They don't have the power to screw us over, is really my point. Okay, despite what Pat Buchanan is telling the president. Back to the WHO. Now, this isn't the first time the president has gone against the WHO. He's been talking about pulling out of them for months on end, and now he's actually doing it and saying we're going to be giving it to more worthy organizations, I promise you, most of which are owned by Jared Kushner. Uh, okay, I, I don't know that yet, but most of them are going to be owned by Jared Kushner. We all know that. Now, here is kind of the part that I want to talk about. First off, I think the WHO is really being used as a scapegoat here. I'm sorry, but it is. As is China in general. The fact is, this happened because we let someone with COVID-19 in our borders, okay? That is not China's fault. When the president placed a travel ban on China, he still allowed thousands of people from China to come into the United States. That just objectively happened. We all realize that. Scott Howard even pointed it out on this very podcast. And so now, we have a situation where it's China's fault, no matter what happens. No matter what happens. And a lot of these people just want war. Okay? Lou Dobbs has said he wants war with China several times. And that's being pushed around in neocon circles. The Project for the New American Century, the Neocon Foundation, a lot of the insiders within the Bush administration were members of, directly said the end goal was regime change in China. Okay? Bill Crystal, who, side note, looks like the crimologist from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I've said that before and I'm going to say it again, is directly said he wants regime change in China. That's the end goal. And if you are a nationalist or an anti-war advocate, and you are falling for this propaganda, then I don't know what to tell you. I really don't. I really don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And this whole thing about cutting off the medical supply chain from China is really just about cutting off medicine. I've said that a million times, and I'm going to keep saying it. They would rather you not be able to have medicine than for it to come in here from China. Because nationalism, in its purest form, and make no mistake, nationalists and isolationists have seized what's more or less a complete coup in our government, because we were never asked about this. We were never told this. The majority of Americans supported NAFTA. The president barely mentioned tariffs. He mentioned he was going to renegotiate NAFTA, but that meant a million and a half things. The majority of Americans support that. He occasionally was anti-trade deal, but that wasn't a big part of his campaign. Okay. And by the way, so at this point, they've seized control of our government. They'd rather you die than you get medicine somewhere else, because nationalism and isolationism is a death call. Nationalism in its Josh Hawley, Peter Burrito form is a death call. Make no mistake about that. Um, so, that's just the scenario that we're having in. 
Now, as for us pulling out of the WHO, I really don't care one way or another. I really don't, okay? I'm not a big WHO fan. I think there's a lot of junk science that comes out of it, especially from IR. That's where we find that, like, having long hair causes cancer, as does being a barber, so life sucks no matter what, and just all this other ridiculous stuff. So I want to acknowledge there are issues with WHO. And I am not against the president pulling out of it, necessarily. I do think it's weird he's focusing on that, not the entire UN. But, okay, that's completely fair. However, this is the big however, I am simply worried about what it represents regarding the shift with nationalism in our culture. I'm sorry, that's my big issue here. In a vacuum, I am not against this, but with everything else, with this plot of the administration that I've been exposing for for months now, let's just say I'm a little vigilant. Anyway, I haven't been talking about the whole George Floyd thing, if only because there's not really much I can say about it. I hadn't already said with Ahmed Arabi in that, okay, I feel the cop was wrong, but in this case, there was a bigger outrage that led to full-on riots in Minneapolis, which, by the way, I want to make clear, I am against, okay? In case anyone wants to accuse me of being pro-riot, I'm not. I'm against riots. Um, and now we find out what we always knew, but they were also, like, looting targets and things along those lines. And for the record, to anyone trying to justify it, there are scenarios like during Hurricane Katrina, for instance, where I could theoretically sympathize with someone who is stealing, okay? I still think you should be punished, make no mistake, but I can sympathize with them. I can't sympathize with these guys, I'm sorry. You're trying to protest racial violence by looting Target. I mean, even in a case like the Boston Tea Party, they were specifically attacking, you know, people, who, the tea shipments in question, because that's what it was about. It was about a tea tax. Like, if they were, even if they were, like, burning down, I don't know, the house of the police officer who shot Floyd, that's still wrong. That's still completely wrong. But that is at least also related. This isn't. But anyway, that's not what I wanted to talk about, okay? There's a lot you can talk about regarding George Floyd. That's not it. Instead, I wanted to sh talk about this article from Reason. In the wake of the police-involved death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, armed black activists have stepped up as the city endures protests, riots, and looting. A video of a group of armed black residents in St. Paul went viral on, on Thursday, the video shows armed black men standing in front of a store. The person who is recording says that the businesses they're protecting is black-owned. A black guardman can be seen in the background of another video featuring uh, civilians protecting a store. And then they have this 12-second clip. Give it a listen. They said, they said run up in here and see what happened. On fan out here with the blicks on them. Blicks on them. Run up in this. Black-owned, nigga. You see that? Black-owned. Run up in this bitch. Oh, my mama, we gonna do that to y'all at... <laughs> I thought that was absolutely amazing, in all honesty. And mind you, I'm not a big gun guy, okay? I don't own any guns. If you start talking to me about the difference between fully automatic and semi-automatic weapons, or about the difference between an AK and an AR, I just start hearing the Pink Elephant song. And, like, start tuning you out. I don't know anything about guns, okay? I don't own any. I don't own any. I don't really feel the need to. I genuinely don't like the idea of owning one as well. Okay, I'll say that. So I don't know. I don't know the gun-owning experience, okay? But the people who actually do tell me they're useful for self-defense, so I'll believe them. Seriously, that's how I view the thing. And most gun owners, by the way, are completely responsible people, or they're like this and actually protecting. But back to the Reason Magazine article. Uh, the armed civilians aren't just protecting property, they are also using their Second Amendment rights to bolster their First Amendment rights. A man who calls himself the Office Grandmaster J, it's unclear whether that's 
this is a nickname or just a social media handle, leads a group called the Not Fucking Around Coalition. <laughs> <laughs> the Not Fucking Around Coalition. If you are listening to this, you are my new favorite group of people. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just I just find that great. I just find that great. Uh, a black group that he says is comprised of ex-military shooters, and he's been using his social media accounts to showcase his group's armed protests in the wake of, the, of Floyd's death. Uh, NFAC previously gathered in Georgia neighborhoods when Ahmed Arabi was shot and killed by two white residents while unarmed and out jogging. But hey, I mean, Arabi looked into a house that the owner said he hasn't done anything wrong in, so clearly he might have deserved it, maybe, if you stretch the definition of deserved enough. But this shows something that I feel like we do need to talk about. Supporters of gun or supporters of gun control often like to portray um, people who are against them as racist, okay? I mean, they just love doing that so much. Uh, there's a tweet from Travis Allen. I talked about this when I first saw it like a month ago. It says, Just a reminder that when the Black Panthers stormed the California Capitol building in 1967, it led both the NRA and Ronald Reagan supporting gun control. It led to both the NRA and Ronald Reagan supporting gun control. First off, I don't really like the framing there that the 1967 Black Panthers... We're just this peaceful group who, no, no, there were a lot of them who were militants. And a lot of them who were CIA agents, which also made them violent. Uh, and it was, it was joked about them and the Communist Party that there were so many CIA members in it that there were actually more CIA members than actual members of either the Black Panthers or the Communist Party. I mean, seriously, that's how many of them were CIA members. And for that matter, Ronald Reagan was not some big pro-gun hero like he's often betrayed by the Republican Party. Again, as governor of California, he did sign some gun control, not much, but some. And then, as president, he banned fully automatic weapons in 1986. And then later on, he endorsed the Brady Bill. Now, he was no longer president when that happened, but he did endorse the Brady Bill, which, of course, was named after his former press secretary, James Brady, who was shot while Reagan was dodging a bullet, more or less. Or, yeah, Reagan was shot. Brady and Reagan were both shot, but Brady got, like, a large amount of brain damage. And then later they introduced a gun control bill in response to that, which was just nicknamed the Brady Bill, because, hey, that's who it was based after. Uh, Brady, of course, by the way, was Reagan's right-hand man, but most Republicans don't know that or don't want to tell you about that. And that's just one example of hypocrisy within the party. Oh, by the way, do you know which president created the EPA? This is another example. It was Republican Richard Nixon. Seriously. Again, the modern Republican Party would never tell you that. And as for the NRA, um, we can talk about the NRA's record on civil rights if you want. But really, up until the 90s, they weren't political in any way. Like, seriously. In fact, they endorsed at least three gun control bills, to my knowledge. One in... One in the 1930s, back when Roosevelt was president, one after the one in response to Kennedy being shot in 67, and then they endorsed Reagan's ban on fully automatics. The NRA really wasn't political until Clinton's assault weapon ban in the 90s, which caused all these people to just spew in. I mean, all these people who were just angry that guns could be banned, and they started taking a more political route, and they started working with, like, Newt Gingrich and Bob Dole and people like that, and Tom DeLay's another one. Um, but no, John F. Kennedy, in fact, was a member of the NRA, and he was a Democrat, in case you didn't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and when the NRA started, 
it was primarily just kind of like a gun nerd group. It was people who really liked guns, just getting around, training other people on how to be safe with them. They were also they were big into education. That's what they did. They educated people on guns. They actually educated clans members, or not clans members, they educated African Americans how to shoot back in response to the Klan. Martin Luther King Jr. himself actually applied for a concealed carry permit in Alabama. And he was denied it because even though he met all the written applications, he did not meet the one that you were supposed to meet, which is you had to be white. That wasn't written down, because you couldn't write that down, but that was heavily implied. That's the other thing I want to talk about. Gun control activists are total hypocrites. Do you know what the first policy endorsed by the Ku Klux Klan was? It was gun control. Seriously. In fact, when a Florida law, yeah, it was Florida, I forget the exact time period, it was, if I'm not mistaken, in the 1880s was, um, was, uh, was taken to the state Supreme Court over it possibly being racially biased. The Supreme Court affirmed the law, but said, yeah, the whole point is it's racially biased. <laughs> they didn't want black people to get guns because then they could defend themselves against the lynchers. Shane Killian has a whole video going into, um, the various ways the progressive movement was eugenicist in nature. He has several videos on this. Uh, but gun control isn't the only policy. Minimum wage is another one. Where they basically admitted, they admitted when they passed this, the first thing to have a state minimum wage was Massachusetts. And that was to keep women from working. Then later, um, the Davis-Bacon Act was signed into law in 31, and that was originally introduced in 27, and the reason, and the argument made was that too many black people were getting government contracts. So they create a minimum wage specifically in hopes that it would lead to um, less black people in the workforce. Irving Fisher, I think that's what his name was, Irving Fisher, it was something like that. A progressive economist admitted that, and they don't admit this now, by the way. Immigration restriction was bad for the economy. They used to outright admit that. Immigration hawks did. But they didn't like that fact, but they still didn't like immigrants because they were eugenicists. You think V-Dare is going to print that article? And that's A lot of status policies are based on racism. I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. And the fact is, gun control is no exception. Uh, there's this quote from Chris Rock. I'm going to see if I can find it real quick. Okay, I can't actually find who said this quote. Um... I thought it was Chris Rock because of another bit he did on gun control, but I'm going to just quote, this is from the Free Thought Project. It's, let's talk about gun control. Banning or restricting firearms is the most white privilege idea ever. Rich liberals scoffing at the notion that a person might need to defend their own lives is a tower so ivory you can't look at it in direct sunlight. It's the personal safety equivalent of saying, just have the maid do it. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Anyway, uh, last thing for tonight. Van Jones, who is a CNN commentator, a guy who I frequently disagree with, by the way, went on a rant in response to the killing of George Floyd that I thought was absolutely amazing. Like, absolutely amazing. I'm happy somebody finally said this. So, give it a listen. There's another reality here that you're starting to see. You thought maybe the world worked one way because police are nice to you, because these things don't happen to people that you know, but the whole time there was a whole other America. And the reason that you see people now doing the things that they're doing, now we have no idea who set those fires. It could have been provocateurs, it could be anybody. But the reason you see people willing to risk their lives in the middle of a plague and a pandemic, and to go out and literally risk their lives to, to protest, is because people are now fed up. Uh, we the, People are telling me they're tired of hashtags, they're tired of Van Jones saying we can have a bipartisan solution, they're tired of people like me, they're tired of people saying over and over again that uh, uh, you know we're just basically one bill away or one election away from some progress. It's not the racist white person who's in the Ku Klux Klan that we have to worry about. 
It's the white liberal Hillary Clinton supporter walking her dog in Central Park who would tell you right now, she, you know, she, people like that, oh, I don't see race. Race is no big deal to me. I see us all as the same. I give to charities. But the minute she sees a black man who she does not uh, uh, respect or who she has a slight thought against, she weaponized race like she had been trained by the Aryan nation. A Klan's member could not have been better trained to pick up the police and uh, pick up the, her phone and tell the police it's a black man, African-American man, come get him. Now, love or hate Van Jones, and again, I don't really like him very much. I don't like most of his political positions. He is absolutely right. This is what Martin Luther King Jr. actually talked about in his famous letter from Birmingham jail, how it wasn't the Ku Klux Klan member, or the member of the White Citizens Council, which if you don't know was basically a more professional version of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, they didn't, I, to my knowledge, they didn't do like the lynchings or anything, but they were just as racist. They gave just the same rhetoric, except they more tried to influence mainstream politics. The Klan did in several regards, too. Um, those weren't the big threats. The big threat was your average moderate who said, hey, yeah, I agree with you, but don't we have other things to worry about? And also, I disagree with your tactics in some way. And for that matter, shouldn't you just, no, no, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. That usually is nonsense. That usually is nonsense, okay? And I'm happy somebody is finally calling that out. And, of course, <laughs> I haven't seen the white liberals' reaction, and I'm a white guy myself, to be very clear. I'm very white. I'm pretty white myself. Okay, so I can't speak for black people's experience, but I want to see the white liberals' reaction to someone like what Van Jones just said. Because you know it's going to be amazing. You know they're going to deny it up and down, despite the fact it is so obviously true. Seriously, it's just absolutely obviously true to anyone who's actually thinking. The first time I really noticed this was when the Black Lives Matter movement was just starting. Okay? And mind you, they later did engage in some tactics that I don't agree with. They interrupted the Pride Parade in summer of 2016, like, jumped in front of it, too. There were some activists who were involved with, like, killing cops or kidnapping a white teen. You know, things like that. I disagree with that, okay? When the movement started up, I believe it was in response to killing of... I think it was Eric Garner. It may have been Trayvon Martin. I don't think it was, I don't think it became really big until Garner. It may have started after Martin. But there are all these commentators, you know, all these, well, white liberal commentators, coincidence, uh, who were saying, well, wait, don't all lives matter? Uh, you're racist because you didn't specifically mention that all lives do in fact matter. And, of course, the response to this is, well, wait, who's denying that white lives matter? Seriously, who on this planet is denying that, specifically based on race? And there are parts of the world where that may be the case. I don't know. I'm not an expert on geopolitical politics, but in the context... Geopolitical politics. Well, that was redundant. But in the context of the U.S. in response to what we're talking about, the message that needs to be heard is that black lives matter or all lives matter doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And if you were arguing over whether or not it was appropriate to say black lives matter or all lives matter, you were engaging in a nonsensical semantics argument. I'm sorry, but you were. You were. Both of which basically lead to the same message. And you know what? Maybe occasionally those arguments are worth it, but the fury, the absolute fury of these white liberal commentators to call Black Lives Matter racist for not including every single other life outside of black lives, apparently. I mean, that's basically what their argument came down to because they specifically said black lives. And when those people heard it, they assumed that meant, well, no one else is counted. And you know what? In that scenario, I promise you a good amount of them were projecting. Not all of them, hashtag not all. 
A lot of a good amount of them are just stupid. But there are a good amount of them who are just projecting, who have repeatedly had to remind themselves that they're not racist, remind in quotes. Um, hence why when they hear any group divide, they just can't handle it. They honest to God just cannot handle it. Because the only way they can realistically maintain the idea that they are not racist is through saying that, oh, no, actually, I just don't see any color. To quote Trevor Noah, then what do you do at stoplights? <laughs> I remember Stephen Colbert had this great joke. Uh, listen, I don't even know what race I am. People tell me I'm white, and I believe them because I spend large amounts of time trying to prove I'm not racist. <laughs> now, that's what I get the feeling of from these commentators. And that was years ago, but since then, there have been so many other examples of this. Um, where it just comes down to, you're angry that we didn't also specifically mention a non-issue that's going on at the same time. And that is the white moderate that King was talking about in his letter over 50 years ago now. Yeah, over, damn I think it's over 60 years now. Might be, or it's around 60 years. Just, wow, that's how old that letter was. Um, but a long time ago, that's my point. A long time ago. That's the kind of white moderate that King was talking about in his letter to Birmingham jail. And now that Van Jones is talking about is the kind that people need to actually be on the lookout for. Because those are the kinds that actively hide themselves. Those are the kinds that put on suits and ties. Do you guys know what state the Ku Klux Klan had the most influence politically in? Serious question. Serious question. And I'm asking you this for a very specific reason. This was the state where they were buying out politicians. They weren't doing their lynchings. They were doing tons of lynchings. That's what they did. But that weren't just doing that. They were also putting on suits and ties and lobbying government officials and doing all of that. It was Indiana. I'm not joking. It wasn't Mississippi. It wasn't Texas. You know, it wasn't uh, Arizona. Well, that's Arizona is not really a state people think of when they think of racists, but it, it had some. Uh, but no, it wasn't Texas. It wasn't like Mississippi. It wasn't Florida. Wasn't any of those. It was Indiana. Indiana, by the way, was a union state. And you know what they had that four states in the union did not have? Bans on slavery. Yeah, did you guys know that? There were union states, I think four of them, that allowed slavery. Seriously. And Abraham Lincoln had to deny up and down, that the war was about slavery until the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. And by the way, that proclamation only set slaves free in Confederate states. It didn't do it in Union states. Lincoln even said in one of his debates with Stephen Douglas in 1958, or 1858, sorry, that he does not support equal rights for African Americans. Instead, he just said, believed that they shouldn't be slaves. Now, to be fair, for that time, that was still progressive, okay? And I'm a critic of the Dinesh D'Souza's of the world, who say, oh no, actually, these people are bad, uh, because they specifically were racist, no one else was. You know, that's what basically the whole point of Hillary's America was. No, in truth, before around the midpoint of last century, everyone was racist. What were you supposed to be? Not racist? That's a laugh. Uh, <laughs> that's probably really not as funny to a lot of uh, minorities. <laughs> Sorry about that. But no, you guys see my point. We can't treat people like they're heroes. There were tons of racists, even within Union states, even within Northern states. 
They just didn't notice it. Now, because we're white people, we don't have to notice it. When it's people putting on suits and ties as opposed to when it's Bull Connor turning on a hose. Seriously. There was a study done that found that schools that were the most desegregated were in the South. And Malcolm X, who, yeah, obviously a lot of people have a lot of issues with, um, said famously in New York City in the 60s that you don't need to go to Texas to find a segregated school. There are tons of them in New York City. The difference is, however, in New York City, they hide their segregation. In Texas, they were open about it. And that made all the difference to a lot of white people. Still makes a difference to this day. Hence why, while Van Jones is talking about this, here's a little uh, study to put next to Van Jones's comment. Did you know that twice as many white Democrats are angered by the fact that Biden is a white guy than black Democrats are? Seriously. Now that is, that's a very interesting study. Because to white liberals, racism is too many white people in politics, okay? To actual people who have suffered racism, to minorities, it's just a little bit more complicated than that, you know? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And mind you, again, I'm white, so I could theoretically be one of the people screaming at Dan Jones saying, No, I know I'm not racist. My mommy told me I'm not racist. I don't like doing that. I don't like doing that because that's just obviously bullshit to a lot of people. And for that matter, it validates the people who, even if I'm not, and I don't think I am, I mean, I, most people don't think they are. But even if I'm not, somebody who is and doesn't think he is, it could be listening and taking that and saying, yeah, I agree, meanwhile, he's racist. So who knows? Who knows? That's why I don't do those kind of arguments, because they're just genuinely pointless. If my response to this was, well, I know that can't be true because I'm not a racist, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be doing the segment because that's just pointless. That's just stupid. Seriously, that is honest to God stupid. Uh, there's a video Shane Killian made. Uh, he did two editions of it. It's called Racism in Business or Government. He did one in 09 and then another one in 2015. And both times he ran the numbers per capita of the amount of African Americans in politics. The only number where they were proportionally represented, and he did overall trends, mind you. It was African American governors and African American members of Congress, African American or minority members of Congress, minority governors, minorities in state houses and local houses and all that. The only number where minorities were proportionally represented was state houses of former Confederate states. I'm not making that up. I'm not. And obviously there are still racists down there. However, that's kind of an interesting study I think about every now and again. Maybe it's when you're dealing with actual people who are not the suit and tie racist, you learn to check it a lot better if you're a civil human being. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. I'm just kind of talking now. I don't know. I, I just happen to think it says something. When, you know, Van Jones is talking about George Lloyd being shot or Ahmed Aravi being shot. Meanwhile, your average white liberal is complaining about what? Uh, Joe Biden being white? A New York Times column talking about the fact that Kobe Bryant was a rapist. You know, that, that is the only time I was ever happy to watch an ESPN panel. I'm going to make sure I get the name right because I genuinely, I, I'm near certain I remember. Uh, 
Ken Blackstone. Yeah, it was Ken Blackstone. If you ever get the chance, look up Ken Blackstone, ESPN, Kobe Bryant. It was just after Kobe Bryant's death, and ESPN was breaking that news for a week straight. I just turned on a panel at some point. It was him, and Ken Blackstone, for those who don't know, is a very black guy. I like how I say very black. Like there, he's, he's just normal black, to my knowledge, okay? Uh, <laughs> I can't judge the people's blackness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just don't have that ability. Uh, but anyway, no. It, it was this panel with him and like four or five other white guys. And by that point, the unofficial rule of ESPN was don't mention Kobe Bryant's a rapist. No. And Blackstone broke that rule and just, oh my god, the white guy's face has got even whiter. That is, like, one of my favorite panels of all time. That's one of my favorite videos of all time, is that ESPN panel. Because it just shows the kind of way a lot of moderate white people try and avoid being racist. Is don't mention anything bad a minority did. Also, let's get, I guess, some more black people in pop. Doesn't matter if they're like Kamala Harris and joke about smoking weed while in college, while also at that time they were locking up black people for small amounts of marijuana. Doesn't matter. No, what matters is that they have the right melanin level, and also they don't call me out. That's the other important part. Okay, to end with, to end with, if you want to see the whitest group of people you'll ever see in your life, read, uh, look at the profile picture of all of the columns on Town Hall condemning Joe Biden's You Ain't Black comment. That's all. I'm Ephraim. Good night, and if you enjoy this show, you'll probably enjoy my book, Ramblings of a Madman, Life is an Anarchist. Uh, follow me on Twitter at atephromjocene1, and follow me on Gab at peaceful underscore globalist underscore Ephraim. Also, if you got anything you want to send me, send it to me at peacefulglobalistreview at gmail.com. That's peacefulglobalistreview at gmail.com. Just name of the show at gmail.com, and good night.